everyone, and welcome to another installment of Visionary Objet Da. We are a sister channel to the ever-excellent Crank Playthings. You can check them out, as well as many other excellent high-def channels over at 8k.nz. And with me today, I have another another very, very special guest with me, Mr. Michael Brankovich, also known as the proprietor of The Brown Christmas. How are you, man? I am very good. How are you? Oh, none, none too shabby. I'm, I'm pretty happy that, uh, I'm pretty happy I was able to make this, this interview with no interruptions on the time frame whatsoever. Uh, the last, the last couple I've been trying to do have just been complete nightmares, and this one just went off without a hitch. So that's always good. Oh, sorry. I think I lost you there for a second. Right. Yep, gotcha. I was just saying it was nice to finally, nice to finally uh, start up an interview here that. Uh, the the timing wasn't a complete nightmare for the last two i've tried to do the timing's been impossible i've had to reschedule like three times so i'm i'm happy this one just kind of happened oh yeah yeah it takes, glad it takes, it's uh going smoothly yeah it takes a lot of the stress off uh let's let's <laughs> hopefully the rest of the conversation won't derail in some horrible unforeseen way but <laughs> i don't think so i think we'll be all right yeah all right so why don't you um why don't you give me just a little bit of uh a bit of the backstory on where um, where all this sort of experimentalism and uh, noisecape sort of started for you, um, even if that happens to be um, uh, before any of the stuff that came with uh, the Brown Christmas, because I uh, I did get a bit of a, a notion from uh, some some friends of yours actually, the last uh, boys that I interviewed from Detlov, and uh, they said they were just they were sort of saying that you were sort of into all this stuff before they were even sure what it was. So why don't you just give me a bit of a uh, bit of a rundown and kind of a backstory on where, uh, where you're coming from? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the whole getting into music was somewhat serendipitous. Um, uh, the Brown Christmas was started with two of my best friends from uh, from from middle school, um, Todd and Joe Mazing, and we just one day we were like hey we should we should start a band and all we really had was so like todd had a bass um joe had this little uh casio rap man keyboard and i had this like uh like walgreens pharmacy like christmas toy keyboard thing that i had gotten and we had this beat up uh tape player that had a built-in microphone and we were like yeah this is this is good enough this, this <laughs> suitable materials for starting a band oh, for um sure. and then from there that was in um 2005 and from there it just like gradually snowballed like we started uh getting better musical equipment and better recording equipment um and basically, it was just a lot of complete, uh, just total improv improvisation, like no sort of um, idea of what we were going for going into it, I guess. And none of us really had any formal music training either. Like, uh, I had played saxophone for a couple of years in like elementary school, but like that was the extent of it. Um, so none of it is very it was very primitive to start there's a lot of a lot of banging on keyboards and a lot of screaming and a lot of unlistenable stuff was recorded but uh but it was always a lot of fun well i feel like i feel like um at some rate or another uh getting into something especially like this and having um just a, a even a couple people who were you know, on the same page of what you want to do. And I, I feel like in a way with this, having no formal musical training or too much prior musical inclination when it comes to playing or reading or writing music and anything like that, I feel like that's almost a blessing in a way because you're able to just do what, do what comes naturally and do what's you feel needs to be happening and you're almost shaking a constraint of this isn't how music is supposed to go and you've almost kind of foregone that and 
you get this new this new sound that wouldn't come from someone because you can't write it exactly yeah definitely that's that's definitely how looking back on it uh i i think about it um because there is none like you said like since we didn't have any formal training there was none of that sort of like oh well this is how music is supposed to be made so you can't do it this way or you can't do it that way um so it was definitely just complete freedom to explore uh sonically and just see where it naturally progressed to but yeah and sometimes though with with that notion there's also a bit of a caveat in it in the sense that you know, nobody has the the training and everyone wants to do what they feel like has to happen. But at the same time, you kind of need a bit of self-awareness because you're throwing all these ideas, bouncing all these ideas back off at each other. And no one has any more right to say, well, that's a dumb idea when, you know, realistically, maybe it's not something exactly you should, you know, that's just an awful idea through and through. Yeah. Um, but was uh, was the beginnings in that sense with uh what sounds to me like the absolute perfect setup uh, it sounds perfect to me <laughs> yeah uh, but going into that was it more of a were you kind of going for more of a sound or a setup that was influenced by something that was going on with you guys or was it literally just literally just a fuck show like was it just literally a fuck band or was there something that kind of drove you to approach it this way no, I guess there was there was definitely an approach um, because, like I said, we had been friends for years before that, and we before even starting a band, we spent a lot of time just hanging out and listening to music. And I guess one of the big influence early on was when we all got into listening to the Residents, um, mm. especially like their early stuff like uh duck stab buster and glenn and like uh meet the residents and commercial album um and i think originally that was sort of what we were going for like sort of this kind of weird experimental kind of circusy at times kind of a little maniacal sounding but playful um so i think that was sort of like the the original guiding thread um but there was plenty of like you know room to just be like well let's let's just do whatever yeah it'll be totally fine and i i think even too if that was uh with the residents sort of be the um the beginning influence on that i mean even just even if you just open up the brown christmas if you just open up your open up your guys's band camp and just do a little scroll through even if you want to just do an aesthetic once over you kind of get this sense like i kind of i kind of get reminded of something something halfway to hell between like i don't know like the commercial album by the residents and like primus-esque yeah um visuals like a hundred percent yeah yeah that makes a lot because primus was the other band too that was like that was the three of our the the three of us those were like our two top favorite bands that sort of I guess led to us deciding like hey we should we should do music. We we should do a thing that's going to be completely nuts and just let it happen as it is. Yeah. Exactly. So, where do you think I mean in terms of that, I mean if those were sort of what you were coming off, um was there any more sort of um I don't know, more succinct experimental acts that you guys came to know uh later on that might have influenced you or was it sort of just this uh, just this idea that started somewhere and then it just grew naturally from there and that kind of brought you to where you are? Or do you kind of have almost some landmarks or where you can go through maybe album art and be like, oh, we were listening to a lot of, you know, 80s music at this time or disco mm -hmm. or something at this time? Um, I think it's probably a combination of the two. I think there was definitely more of just it, it took took on its own natural course um but because the thing was we we were all you know obviously we were, we were all listening to a lot of similar stuff but we were all sort of going our own directions too um so i think we each sort of pulled from what we were listening to and threw that into the mix without necessarily informing the other members at the time um 
Yeah. But I think I think with such a with such a tight knit mentality like that too. I mean, if you guys are best friends, you know, for so long and you start making music together regardless of what you guys are listening to at the time or what's kind of at the forefront of your mind at the time. I do I do feel like once you sort of get on that musical level with someone else or some other people that your influences are always going to come through and be different but you're all always going to be on the same page kind of yeah no it's it's really interesting because like uh we basically sort of we we learned how to play music with each other um in that we sort of got to feel how like i i we each sort of like realized how each other plays and how to work off of that um and i for a while i i I noticed how that was sort of a a hindrance sometimes because occasionally i would i would try to jam with other people and i'd be like oh I don't really know how to play music and I also have never jammed with you people before. So I sort of don't know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. I've, I've been found out. They know I'm completely bullshitting them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was definitely like a really uh, unique thing to sort of have such a, a tight knit friendship and musical relationship that basically like we formed our own musical language between the three of us that we all sort of like understood and could listen while we were playing and be like all right i know you know he's about to like you know really ramp it up or something right now dude that's it's it's super interesting that you mentioned that it it being a musical language because i was i was literally just about to say it's it's very similar to to you know speaking another language with someone i mean i've played um, music with uh, one of my bandmates and my best friend for, you know, over a decade now, like longer than a decade now, and another bandmate and friend of mine for, you know, close to four to five years. And I know, um, I know that I can't, I can't jam with them. I can't jam with one of them the same way I would jam with another one. And sometimes it does sort of leak in, and it very much is like, uh, like switching languages. Um, yeah. You know, you I like I couldn't go, you know, I couldn't go to my one friend, my best friend, and start speaking French at him. It it wouldn't yeah. stick the same way. I couldn't, you know, speak. I couldn't do the same sort of jam as I could with my other friend. And it, it it does get sort of limiting, but at the same time, it almost feels like it gives you a bit of a direction in how you're gonna grow because you know how things are gonna step, you're how you're gonna move in lockstep with this other person. And you know what you can bring and what is going to interest them. And you can sort of pull the reins in whichever way they might go. Yeah. So on the... I I have to comment and I think my favorite... Just, just because I have to get it out there, I don't know if the conversation mm-hmm. will naturally get there. But um, my favorite... My favorite album title of your guys's that I've seen and listened to so far. Um, it has to be Dick hurts. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, I'm super up on that one. Um, yeah, that that's definitely a favorite of mine too. It's just, it's, it's succinct and it's perfect, but just, just because I obviously was such a, such an expansive discography and obviously with, you know, it being sort of a friends thing, I think, um, the question might sort of blur into itself at some point, but um, maybe just as a reference point for uh, for this last album that you guys did, which uh, Chair Club for Men was it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so for Chair Club for Men, maybe, um, and I, I promised my best friend that I'd do this pretty much for every every episode of this show. But why don't you? Can you give me like a bit of like a gear rundown? And like what you guys were using, maybe how you recorded it, um, if there's anything sort of special, uh, what type of drugs you were on, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so let's see, let me pull this up. Uh, yeah, so this one, uh, a lot, this one was just a, a duo between myself and Joe Mazing. Um, and our setup was 
Joe Mazing on uh, Rollin D50 synthesizer um, uh, and Automatone, which um, I don't know if you've seen those before, but it's this weird like little plastic toy sort of thing that looks like a note with like a mouth and oh. a little like yeah, yeah, finger I know exactly pad thing. So he had one of those um, and uh, just like a boss giga delay um, delay pedal. And then I had uh, uh, a few different synths. I think on that one I was using uh, Korg, uh, Microkorg, probably the Volca FM, uh, Volca Keys, Volca Drums, um, MPC 1000, and then just various like uh, boss pedals. Like I have a just a suitcase full of pedals. Um, Ooh, do, and... you, do, you hap- do you happen to have that suitcase with you? I do. Yes. Ooh, we should go through a go through a walk through that one. All right, I could do that. Pull this guy out. This is all for you, Justin. You better be listening to my <laughs> show. Um. So basically, uh, the way my setup works is I run everything into uh, my mixer, and then I have a an effects send out of that, and then that goes directly into our recording device. And then Joe Mazing is usually he goes runs everything into a a bass amp, and then that's mic'd up, and that goes into the recording into the computer. Um, but the way my effects pedal uh, pedal suitcase is I got the boss super, uh, super octave. Um, then the hello, super shit. Hello. Hello. I, I think I've lost you here. Oh, there we go. Got me. Yeah. I lost you there for a sec, but I, th- I think I found you. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, going through the pedals, uh, the boss super octave then the uh super shifter then uh tremolo then a uh distortion overdrive pedal then the chorus ensemble and then a phase shifter uh then uh my uh giga delay and then those go into a uh Moog uh, low pass filter, and that's uh, that's my effects effects loop. That 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 sounds pretty gorgeous, I must say. Yeah. So, what do you find? Because you kind of rattled off about you know three, four, five different sort of synths. What do you what do you find is the best way when you're using uh, multiple synths? I mean, obviously, if you have a big enough mixer, you can kind of run them all. Um, into one into one channel and that's not really an issue but what do you find is the best way to sort of um what what how do you get the synths to talk to each other you know what i mean like how do you get them sort of on the same like on the same page as as each other they don't have to sound the same but sort of just jiving with each other like what do you find is the best way to do that um i mean i guess like what i do control wise the uh the the MPC 1000 is sort of like the brain of my setup. Um, so I'll use that uh, both for like doing drum beats and samples on it. Um, but then I'll also use the MIDI out from that to sort of control everything else. Um, but basically, I guess the way I approach it from like less from a technical view and more from a creative view is just gradually building up different textures so you know one of us will will start playing and uh you know like joe will put down you know start doing some little uh riff or something and so i'll just pick a pick a sound start doing something that would complement it and when i feel like all right this is this is good um i want to add something else onto this i'll either you know, loop it through the gig delay or just record the MIDI notes and have it playing back um, via the MPC and then just jump on a different synth 
And I guess it's sort of gotten to the point where we're both familiar with the different uh, patches and different capabilities of our equipment that I could sort of be jamming and be like, oh, I want to do some weird sort of like plunky, distorted kind of percussion-y sounding patch. And then I could be like, okay, well, I know on this synthesizer, I have something programmed like that. That'll be perfect. Um, but yeah, it's still, it's, is it's as much improv improvisation as the actual playing. Um, and occasionally there are times where it's just like, just trial and error, just picking through a few patches until, <clears throat> until I find something that I like. So would you, would you say that you would approach, uh, a live performance in the same sort of way where you would kind of have an idea of what you want things to sound like uh, beforehand or would you rather just go in and get it going on the fly and sort of just see how you're going to pan? So we've done it a couple different ways. Um, when we first started playing together and would play live, um, playing live would be 100%, well, probably like 90 to 100% improvisation also like we wouldn't really know what we were planning to do going in we might be like Does, oh well let's just, do what, sort yep. i was gonna say is is 90 to 100 percent improvisational is that is that like a really shrouded way of saying that you literally had no fucking clue what to do yeah pretty much uh, <laughs> all right just just wanted to double check yeah no like like early on the plan was basically just well we'll just show up with our gear and just start just start hitting things and see what happens um the the more recently uh we've been practicing bef like we'll we'll like pick tracks from albums that we released that were originally just straight improvised recordings and we'll be like all right well let's pick one or you know a few of these songs and you know figure out how how to play it and then play it live um just because there were there were definitely times and i'm sure part of this was just again because we didn't know what we were doing going in uh originally but there were definitely times where we'd play live shows and it would you know we'd just go in and fuck around and it would be really cool and we'd be like yeah that was awesome and then there'd be a handful of times where like just it was just like not working and then, like, I would just, like, feel like garbage afterwards and be like, I'm just going to go home. Um, so after a few of I'm going to go home times, and listen to Leonard Cohen started... for, like, a week and not talk to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So after, like, a few of those times, uh, I started thinking, like, okay, well, let's have some idea of what we're going to be doing going in. Um, and that's sort of where we are now, where it's we have a pretty solid skeleton of what we're going to do uh when we play live um but still with enough room that we could just like take it in different directions if we want so it to me it really seems like if if there was any sort of if there's any sort of group for you that was just you know the one constant where you can kind of have the absolute freedom to do what you feel and come in and not have to worry about um well anything really um this 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 seems like that would be that project for you like the one sort of constant but do you have any you know others any sort of other uh projects or bands that you're in or that you like to work on that um sort of challenges you to work just within a different framework um even if it's just for the sake of stepping outside of uh comfortability uh yeah um so i have a solo thing that i do um which is chalk harmonica vibe and that's definitely a completely different approach um in that i sort of kind like I, I i write more music and by that i don't mean that like i actually write down notation or whatever but like i'll sit and sort of like mess around with a melody or like a beat or just a general atmosphere and then record that and then gradually build off of it and sort of like go back, re-record things, change it. Um, so I guess that's in, in, in that 
solo project it's more of i guess a more traditional approach to making music in that i'm not just like all right just gonna hit record and whatever happens happens um <laughs> it, it's it's more of besides, a, it's more of a sit down and figure it out type deal yeah yeah exactly um but besides that i've also played in a group um for a little bit uh uh, pots and power cells um which was sort of this uh, col- uh like a rotating collective of musicians um and that was more uh improv more improvisational like the brown christmas also um but seeing that it was like a larger group of people and that i was very much i was more like an like an ancillary member like there were like th- like three or four people that were like the the main heart of the group and I just was sort of on the, uh, like, a, a satellite member. Uh-huh. And that was, it was nice in that I used a much more, like, stripped-down setup. Like, I basically used one synthesizer and, uh, and, like, my saxophone and a couple pedals. And that was different in that I... Would I I would like hold myself back more than I would with the Brown Christmas, where when it's only like two or three of us, you know we can really go nuts and each of us could really build like a a, a wall of sound going on, um, but when you're in a larger group where it's improvised and there's like you know five to ten people, you know I I can't be like trying to steal the spotlight like com- you know doing a whole fucking song. Um, so that, that was, that was nice in that there was less sort of like, uh, not necessarily like, like pressure to do a lot, but I, I I could just sort of like show up and be like, all right, I'm just gonna just noodle a bit here and drink some beer and just hang out with everyone. And, and being a member, um, sort of in that light, it, it feels like you really, as opposed to. You know, for once when you're the the front runner of your own group, like the Brown Christmas, where you can kind of just, you know, create this just massive amount of ridiculousness. But when you sort of join a collective like that, you almost get the feeling that you will shine a lot better and you're going to add everything you really can to the collective if you sort of pick out where you feel you accent the heart of it all and sort of knowing yeah, your exactly. place in the group. Uh, yeah, I I really don't know why, but I was really hoping you were gonna say like, oh yeah, I was in this other experimental group. I did my solo stuff, and I was part of a '50s doo-wop group. I was hoping you were just gonna <laughs> jut one out of nowhere. Yeah, well, actually, was... that's something. Um, not specifically '50s doo-wop, but that's sort of like this. Uh. Like to me, it's a joke that would that it would be funny to do. Where I I've always wanted to do a, a Brown Christmas album that was completely not anything that we regularly do. Um, like I want to do just an album of just straight normal Led Zeppelin covers and just put it out and just act like, well, no, this is just our new album. It's yeah, that's that's what we do. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we're we're really hoping to have something uh, like that. My um. My one duo with my best friend were called uh, I Hope Like Heck. We stole the name from a Sarah Palin book. But uh, we, we just decided that we him and I had been in so many different projects together like over the years that we figured, you know what, we, we love writing music together and doing this sort of thing. And we're going to use this as like just – it's literally just going to be the name that we release whatever we happen to do under. Mm-hmm. But – the first two albums we have are just complete wall noise and we're working on like this really, really long, like epic doom track about Godzilla. And then uh, <laughs> we're doing this other album and it's just going to be complete uh, sad bastard music, like written strictly on Cassio Casio keyboards. Nice. <laughs> but, 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 but we figured like the best way to do it because everything's going to be so jutting kind of like that. Just act like what that's, that's, that's what we do is yeah. to release a whole bunch of things like that in, you know, just under us, but like have a whole bunch of different genres. And then like 
send off to people who are doing like noise shows and be like, yeah, we want to do an, like a show with you guys. Like here's a couple of our albums and then send them our noise ones and then show up and just do like the sad bastard and like Casio <laughs> songs at like this noise set or just do a doom track at like a sad bastard show. Yeah. I, we've definitely talked of doing sort of the opposite of that where we would, uh, we were joking about sort of like writing a couple just like regular rock or like indie songs and trying to get on some like, you know, like county fair thing or like some like very normal venue and then just showing up just like no guitars or drums or anything, just like all electronic stuff and just being like, what? Like, you, you I thought you listened to what, our stuff. What you get. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be, that'd be pretty fantastic. I I feel I feel like um another thing that really to me that really kind of shined through about uh the Brown Christmas and what you guys sort of do and how you put yourselves out there is that um for as much as this is something that you guys do it because you love doing it and it's obviously a very big part of you guys and who you are, but at the end of the day it it I really get the sense, and I, I got the same sense with uh, with Detloff, actually, as well, that um, as much as it's a huge part of your life, that you guys don't take yourself super seriously to the point where it pushes people away and make them not care anymore. Oh, yeah. No, there's definitely... I think I, I phrased it a certain way once where... I think I said we're, we're very serious about doing not about doing very unserious things um in that you know our music isn't like oh we're like real like really intense or you know really academic type of stuff but at the same time it's not like oh we're just like you know at, at this point it's no longer just oh we're just fucking around um you know it's not like we're a joke band or anything but you're, you're, we do like to make stuff that sounds like funny and lighthearted sometimes or just like you know it's fun to be silly you, you, yeah you guys aren't like the the you know the stuck up like noise nerds who like smoke out of pipes and oh and talk about how Mersbau is too mainstream but you're not like a group of kelsos with a keyboard yeah I just I feel like that was kind of the best way to that was the best way to put it. But and and I feel like that does um to me it reflects the the, the best parts of uh writing and recording and performing as a as a collective because as much as as much as you love what you do and take it seriously to a degree, you know, Nobody wants to hang out with someone who's serious all the time, you know? Nobody oh, yeah. – like, you still there, – there's so much value in being, like, a fun dude. Like, I mean, it, yeah. it, it might it might be disappointing at some point. Like, if you if you know an artist and you know of his work and you, you think he's this – you know, you think he's really cool and you finally get to meet him and he just turns out to just, you know, be a dick and he's just like, yeah, well, mm -hmm. this is what I do and if you – if you know, if even if you like crack a joke at them and they get real mad, and it's like, well, like why is this everything you are? Like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like in that in that way they sort of lose themselves into it, into this image almost. Yeah, I I feel like, and not just music. I mean, with just any sort of like creative endeavor, you know, if you're not doing it and having fun or just you know doing it because it like feels good it's like what's the point like if you're gonna do something and just be all like snobby about it or be all doom and gloom about it it's like you know can't be like that all the time you gotta have fun yeah exactly like i y you kind of have to know where you stand and you have to realize that you know what what we sort of do and what we're doing isn't isn't going to translate to your average everyday kind of dude. And I don't, and I don't, I don't try to act like it. I don't try to act like it should. Like if somebody genuinely wants to ask me, like, you know, maybe like some guys I work with or something, if they genuinely want to know about what it is I do and why I do it, then yeah, sure. I'll tell them. But if someone asks me like, Oh, well, do you just do like 
you know, dumb screamo crap. I'm like, uh, no, I do, you know, and you just crack a joke. I can't believe I didn't think of a joke there, but you just crack a joke at him. You don't take yourself seriously and you kind of just leave it at that. You don't try and sit them down and like educate them. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I've definitely had that experience before too, where it'll, because I, I, I usually don't try to bring it up to just anyone because I know what we do isn't something that everyone's going to be into. Um, but occasionally I've had, you know, like coworkers or something will, will making music will come up in the conversation and I'll, I'll like very clearly know that like our two frames of what constitutes music are not succinct. And yeah, at the same time, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll be, if they're generally interested in it, like, uh, you know, I like sharing what I do. Um, but I don't go into it thinking like, Oh, well, I need to. I need to teach these people a thing or two about about what real real sounds are. What it means to be a Primus ripoff, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even that, like, um, and I I feel like that's another thing that I try to make a almost a a conscious non-effort to do. I mean, a good example is like this guy that I work with, and I talk music with the guy, you know pretty much every time I work with them or like, you know, we'll talk like, Oh, did you hear about this new thing that's coming out? Um, you know, next week or whatever, like just passing each other in the morning. But I understand what he is into. And I understand that he's not into my shit at all. Mm -hmm. So when I, you know, when I talk music with the guy, I know it's going to pretty much be a conversation about like hip hop and R and B, which is fine. I'm not Mm going to be like, all right, dude, listen, I know, I know, I know you like Schoolboy Q, but like, dude, you're gonna love Orchid, okay? <laughs> like, just understand this. Like, I I know that's not gonna happen. And if it's a music that he's you know passionate about, of course I'm gonna listen to him. Of course I'm gonna take his recommendations because you know he's passionate about it, and I'm not trying to be like, well, my music's better than your music. He obviously loves it, and there's a reason for it. And what do you what do you what can you possibly lose from trying to understand why? Yeah. And, and I, I think you just kind of have to have that awareness. Yeah. And then, you know, having that awareness obviously opens you up to just, you know, experiencing new music that you might not have thought that you would have been into. Um, but, you know, you give it a try and you're like, oh, I could I could dig this. Yeah, exactly. And I think and then, you know what? And then if, if you really want to go another step with it, you re- if you really do genuinely enjoy it, you clown on it in your own way. Yeah. And that's how you truly show appreciation for something by making fun of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, how, like, how do you think, how do you think my mom would know that I appreciate everything about her if I didn't constantly bully and make fun of her? <laughs> <laughs> There's just no other way I could possibly communicate it. And that's the perfect way. So I had another another question that I feel like we really have to, you know, kind of get into and make the people out there who listen to this show understand something. And I believe okay. the answer lies within you and I think you have to really take this to the world. But in what way do you think that it either did currently is or will shape the future and save all of us, Crunk. Oh, <laughs> um, well, first, Crunk is definitely alive. Um, I, I think we've we've proved that. Um, it's very much a tool in that it it can be used for good or bad. You know, uh, as with our our most recent entry in our our Crunk trilogy. Uh, Honey, I crunk the kids, the kids, right? Yeah, you don't you don't want the kids getting to it. You don't want the kids getting crunked. Not old enough yet. You got to be aware of age limits. <laughs> yeah. But it's so it's it's here to save the world, and and how 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 is it going to do that? How do you think Crunk ha- Crunk has that vessel, has that message, and that power? Um, I think it's it's something it's something supernatural within it um it, it, it's some uh like uh, uh like other dimensional type of thing 
that's 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 going to eventually split split through the through the veil into our dimension and and set set all the things that are wrong right um but uh you got to be prepared <laughs> for it oh yeah you, you you can't have you know a dimension shredding throughout the entire universe and have these just waves of completely therapeutic crunk coming in and expect to just have it like let it happen no you got to understand you got to be willing and ready to get low you got to you got to get on that <laughs> exactly i'm i'm very glad that you've taken you've taken this and you've you've really shaped something beautiful around something that people thought died in the early 2000s and you've really i think you've really shown and really demonstrated that it it should never be forgotten nor underestimated. Oh, absolutely. Oh my god, I'm I'm just I can't I can't express how happy I am about that. Um I think I think written down here, I think the only um I think one of the other questions that I had was uh great, I can't find it. Uh, oh yeah, I I meant to ask too. So I, obviously, I mean, if you if you take a look at it, you get the sense pretty much almost immediately. But um, for the Noise Vember release from Chaka Monica Vibe, did it really seems like it was just sort of um, like you did one a day every day of November, and that was the album. Yes, that's this. That's I'm getting the right one off that, right? Yeah, that was um, absolutely. But I the yeah. I wondered if, um, because I, I I started thinking about it a little bit more. I don't know. Are you familiar with uh, the act uh, Cassie Tone for the Painfully Alone? I am not. Um, it's this. Uh, it's just this one guy, and you know what? I can't think of where he's from, honestly, which kind of sucks. I can't remember where he's from, but he would do these just like really sad, bastardy kind of songs. And um, and he performed it, and he had in his earlier albums he kind of got like a full band a little bit later, and was able to just was able to write like that. But he sort of had like a blueprint of his earlier albums, and he had like three rules that he would go by, and they were that all the sounds had to come out of the Casio; it couldn't come from anywhere else. He the songs all had to be under two minutes in length and he could only use the white keys. <laughs> and then and that's how he kind of set himself up to make his first uh, albums on that. So in in that sort of sense, I get almost a similar sense that you was, you know, every day in November, I got to do a track. It doesn't, you know, maybe, you know, life get life gets at you. You know, um, it might not yeah. be the easiest thing to do some days. uh you know, maybe one day this thing isn't working and you kind of get like this full scape and this full, I don't know, on and almost a weird way, just this telling of how things were for a month. You almost get that yeah. sense. So how do, do you think that there's any other ways that you have sort of done that, worked within a blueprint that tells a different story? Or is there any way that you sort of have thought of or want to try doing it in uh, in a similar sort of way? I mean, I think with the Noise Vember uh, album, that was sort of the first time that I, I guess, like, set real restrictions, um, even though there weren't really any. Like, the, it, it was originally just videos that I posted on my Instagram, so obviously there was, like, a one-minute time limit. And then, obviously, the everyday thing um, was a, a restriction in its own sort of way in that like I couldn't you know it wasn't something that I was going to sit down and perfect and then release it it was like come home like do this knock something out put it up um I think the only other thing so far that I've done that had some sort of rules to it um was another uh chalk harmonica vibe album that I well hopefully I'm going to be putting out soon. Um, it's been done for a while, but I just 
haven't gone around to doing like the album art for it or and just you know putting it out um but for that one um i had a couple rules um uh, one was i had to use at least one non like synthesizer um or electronic ex instrument on each track and it couldn't be so like let's say if i played piano on the first one um on the next track i would have to use i could use the piano but that wouldn't count as my one not electronic instrument i'd have to use something else on top of that um and what other rule i i i think i said a couple other things for myself too like i i think i made an effort to use at least two sort of musical influences either styles or specific bands and try to do sort of my own version and fusion of the two um but i'm definitely interested in the concept of sort of using restrictions to uh access like to to find different creative modes of making music um, and, I, and i definitely want to do something you know do something like that in the future too and i i feel like it does have a lot of a lot of value because you know it, it's it's a restriction that you've that you're able to sort of put on yourself i mean we talked earlier about having uh, you know <laughs> A res restriction of knowledge, basically the restriction yeah. of knowing what you're doing and how to do it. But in in kind of giving yourself those rules, to me, it it really signals two big things. It signals that you want to, or three big things almost. You want to challenge yourself and see how um, how well you can adapt under these rules and how dynamic of an artist you actually are. It t also to me signals that. Uh, you're interested in finding what you sound like, you know, yeah. because I feel like, I feel like, you know, you can kind of get the same sense. Like if you, like when people do like cover tracks that a lot of the times without realizing or thinking about it, even if it's a completely different sound, you're still trying to imitate that person in some sort of way. Yeah. But I feel like when you give yourself these restrictions and you're like, well, I'm not allowed to do this, so I have to do my best version of making this other thing. To me, it almost translates that you really get that um, that sound that is uniquely you. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, like, um, like uh, oh my god, I'm going to be... Wow, yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but um, Jamie Stewart. Jamie Stewart from Shushu, you know, they, they do a <laughs> lot of cover tracks, but, you know... The second you hear Jamie Stewart's voice, you know it's him, and he knows what he sounds like, and he knows how to use that sound to recreate or reestablish and redefine what song he's covering. So that's sort of the second thing that it signals to me. And the third thing, again, you know, going back to it, but it to me it signals that you don't take a lot of – don't take it too seriously or put too much stock in – what you release and how it reflects you. You're not taking yourself too seriously because you're willing to be like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I had to do this entire album but, like, blindfolded or, you know, something like that. <laughs> Where you're willing to take a bit of a goof or, you know, something that's legitimately going to expand you musically, but you're not stuck – you haven't stuck yourself in a framework of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think it's helpful in both, like you said, uh, sort of figuring out what – your sound actually is and then keeping you from getting too locked into a specific uh mode of creating or style of sound or whatever um because you know putting yourself in a position where you're forced to work outside of your comfort zone um and actually i i remember the one other thing that i'm planning on doing um is i some t hopefully sometime next year uh when i have once once i get my room set up more cohesively to to recording music um i wanted to do an album entirely using the the mpc 1000 and only using samples of stuff like no 
original stuff from me just sampling different things and mangling them in whichever ways to just create an entire album of just uh so an an album almost in almost in a spirit or almost in a in a nod to like music concrete or something like that yeah something like that and just and maybe not necessarily just uh uh not necessarily like like i don't know where it's going to take me essentially um which is why i'm kind of excited about doing it because it could take a very music concrete sort of way where you know maybe i'll i'll use a lot more of like field recordings or like tape loops and stuff or it could take a more like uh uh I don't know, just, you know, just like sampling old jazz records or something like that and, and doing some weird, uh, like, weird groovy stuff with that. Um, it's really, it's like something that I have not really dabbled heavily in at, it not dabbled heavily in at all. And so it's really ripe for interesting uh, things to come out of it. I, I immediately get the sense that no matter like try as you might um, you know try as you might to get a certain sound or to try to expand what you're gonna do and re really try to drive home like new and interesting points um, you can think that it's gonna happen and that's all fine and dandy but you know that you're gonna create the greatest crunk album of all time using only <laughs> samples from Bob's burgers <laughs> I'm I'm probably that is probably what's gonna happen, and that'll be I, if, what what tears the uh, the tears the dimension dimensional portal open. Uh, well, then I guess for the rest of this year we're safe. But as soon as we hit 2018, that that crunk bomb's gonna drop, and this universe is going down. It's getting low, <laughs> and I think that'll be a, a a pretty pretty gorgeous thing. Um, so we're we're kind of closing up. Uh, a little bit here, kind of coming up to our uh, our full hour. Uh, I don't know about you, I could 100% just kind of keep going on and keep talking all day, but I find that when I do my show, if I cut it off at about an hour, uh, things don't get redundant, and um, I don't shoot myself while I'm editing. So I find <laughs> hours kind of kind of a good field mark for that. So yeah, um, I think before we kind of wrap it up here. Um, you know, do you have anything you kind of want to say as a sign off or anything, anything you want the people to really know? Hmm. Well, I mean, we've definitely covered, they need to be prepared for, for the crunk, for the universe getting low. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, other than that, uh, I think, uh, I think uh, if I had to leave people with anything, I, I would want to encourage more people to make music of some kind. Because uh, I feel like there's, uh, like many other creative fields, it's it's been very, uh, it's become very academic and very like there are certain walls built up where Oh, if if you're not proficient at this, like you can't actually make music. Um, but I feel like music is something that's uh, that's an inherently human thing to do. Um, and you know, obviously, if you want to be uh, uh, the next uh, Mozart or whatever, you should probably learn to competently play your instrument and learn scales and chords and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, there's nothing stopping anyone from picking up a drum or a keyboard or anything and just, like, hitting it and getting sounds out of it that they like. Um, I think uh, I think if more people made music and more people were prepared to get low with, with the crunk, <laughs> the, the world would be much better. I, I agree. I think... Um... I might butcher what the exact quote is, but it was uh, it was said by I think I think it was John Olson of Wolf Eyes, and I think it the quote was something to the effect of 
could you imagine how diverse the world of music would be if everyone made exactly what was in their hearts and created their own genre? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. I, and I feel like that's uh, that's that that's something that actually, as, as kind of as much of a goofball as John Olson can be, that's something he said that really sort of resonated with me. That I I I still hold, I still hold right in there. Right, right, yeah. right in my right in my crunk bone. <laughs> but uh, I I think that's um, that's probably that's probably going to be good for uh, for the episode for the hour. So. Mike, like I want to thank you uh, big time for coming on. I had a I had a blast on the show, and I think we we covered a lot of a lot of great a lot of great things on uh, today. Awesome, yeah. No, I had a really good time, really good time talking to you, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Can't thanks a lot. It. Thanks a lot for being on the show, and I I can't wait till you uh, literally tear the universe apart. <laughs> I'll be sure to give give warning beforehand. I I don't want warning. I just want it to happen.